What can other organizations learn from the great strides that YME and breast cancer organizations have made in the last 30 years to educate and support those with breast cancer and help support the search for cures? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host, and with me today is Margaret C. Kirk, Chief Executive Officer of YME National Breast Cancer Organization. Since July of 2001, Margaret has more than 30 years of not-for-profit experience, including 10 years of holding both local and national positions for the Alzheimer's Association. In the past five years, under her leadership, YME has significantly increased its national visibility and has sextupled its operating budget. Today, we're going to talk about YME and the breast cancer movement. Margaret Kirk, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Larry. I was wondering if you could start with a, just a little bit about the history of Why Me, how, it's, how it started. Absolutely. Uh, Why Me was started about 30 years ago at a time, it's hard to understand today, but a time when no one spoke the words cancer, the word cancer out loud, much less breast cancer. People didn't talk about it. There were no pink ribbons or awareness campaigns. And two women came together through a mutual friend, Anne Marcoux and Mimi Kaplan. Both had had breast cancer. Both had been through treatment. Both had had mastectomies. They didn't know each other. And when they got together and shared their experiences and recognized that they, one was a university librarian, one was a social worker, they didn't have enough information about breast cancer and emotional support. And they took so much from each other, they decided to share that experience with others. Now, did they come up with the term why me, or was it called something else initially? Well, they first asked that, you know, very common question, why me? And in 1978, when the organization was founded, there was certainly very little indication as to why one woman would get breast cancer and another wouldn't. But our name, the letter Y hyphen M-E, actually came from when the group outgrew the kitchen table. When these two women got a group of people that were large enough to not be able to meet in their home anymore, they started meeting in donated space at the local Y. And keep in mind, people didn't say the words breast cancer out loud. So rather than say, are you going to that breast cancer meeting, they would say, are you going to the Y meeting? So that synergy between the question and the fact that they were having meetings at the Y is the history behind our name. Well, I'm curious how they described their condition back then. What were they allowed to say? Well, it, it wasn't a question of being allowed. It simply wasn't done. My own father passed away of, of cancer in 1974, and at that time we referred to it as the big C. Mm-hmm. You would see an obituary in the paper often that would say someone passed away after a long illness, and you might say under your breath, oh, he probably had cancer. But people just didn't talk about it the way they do today. Do you think Why Me has had a, a role in kind of uh, making it more acceptable, or is there a shift somehow in our culture? I think the answer is both. I mean, I, I do think organizations like Why Me are very much a part of that, and, and certainly these two very active, very empowered women, both of them were professional women, they both had very supportive families. And they were willing in 1978 to start doing something about this. And our organization for 30 years has been all about empowerment and and helping people take control of the situation. So I think we've been very much a part of that. But also it has been a culture shift. And so today people are very much more aware of cancer than they were 30 years ago and are willing to talk about it. What did YME do early on that you think improved its success as an organization? I really believe the success of YME from the very beginning has been its very singular focus on its mission. 
The mission has been for 30 years to ensure through information, empowerment, and peer support that no one faces breast cancer alone. And the organization has not deviated from that. We don't, for example, raise money for research. The organization is here today for people who can't wait for that cure that might come tomorrow. So the organization from the beginning has been very focused on that. And we recognize that there are organizations that do a lot of different activities and and have a different sort of niche in that breast cancer space. But this organization has never wavered from that mission of empowerment. Where does most of your money come from? Is it from organizations, individuals, trusts? We are very fortunate in that we have a a very diverse sources, I guess, of revenue. Much of it comes from individuals. We certainly have great support from organizations as well. All of it is from private contributions. We don't have any government funding. So it is is organizations and individuals who, who really want to invest with us in making a difference in people's lives. Margaret, I'm wondering how large your organization is, how many people are in the management or just the entire company? Well, we have, as far as paid staff goes, in our national headquarters, we have about 95 people on staff. They're not all located in our office. Our headquarters are in Chicago, but we have... About 40 to 45% of our staff work remotely, so they're not located in our headquarters. In addition to those paid staff, we have a number of volunteers who are very engaged in uh, our mission and our activities. And we also have 10 affiliates around the country. When I give to a charity, I'm, I'm pretty conscious that I want most of the money to actually go somewhere and not end up in um, administration. So do you know what the breakdown is with your yes, organization? Yes, I do. We are about, and it, it varies year to year according to you know how successful we've been in fundraising and so on, but it's pretty consistently about 80 cents on the dollar goes directly to our programs. So our percentage of what in the industry they look at in terms of management general and fundraising expenses are well below the industry standard, which depending on whose guidelines you use ranges from between 25 and 35 percent, and actually some even say as high as 40, and ours hovers at around 20 percent. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and today I'm talking with Margaret Kirk, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the WIME National Breast Cancer Organization. We're talking a little bit about Why Me, the organization, and uh, the movement. Margaret, where's Why Me going? What's what's the plan? Just more of the same, or uh, are you going to increase it 20 times the size it is already? <laughs> well, we are definitely growing. There's no question about that. We've been on a very steep growth curve for the last six years or so, and the reason for that is because the need is not going away. We, there are still today in the U.S. you know, about 40,000 people who die of breast cancer. Um, more than 180,000 women will be newly diagnosed this year. So the need is not going away for that unique perspective that we offer in terms of information, empowerment, and talking to someone who's been there. We have the only hotline in the country that's staffed entirely by trained peer counselors who are breast cancer survivors. It's available 24 hours a day seven days a week, and we have interpreters real-time in 150 languages. So that's our core service. That's not going to go away. But what we recognize is that people today are seeking information in different ways so that while when our hotline was created and those two women who founded the organization, Anne Marcoux and Mimi Kaplan, they started our hotline just with the telephone in their own homes. 
and it has grown today to, to what I've described of being available 24 hours a day, 150 languages. And we know that that, that again, is, is not going to go away. That's going to continue to be our core service. But today, people are seeking information on the Internet, for example. So we've seen our traffic on our website grow considerably. And you have the ability by going onto our website of asking a question of one of our peer counselors via email. If you don't want to do it by phone or, not, or you're not able to do it by phone, you can get the same kind of information and support via email and our Internet. We are continuing to grow additional services as well, particularly doing outreach into medically underserved communities. We have programs on the ground uh, targeting uh, Latina and Asian American, African American populations, getting information about breast health and breast cancer to people where they live. What is the phone number if someone wants to call the hotline? It's 800-221-2141. Is there a, does it stand for anything? I mean, is there another no, way to remember? No, it doesn't, actually. It's not a number that stands for anything. We do have a dedicated Spanish line as well, which is 800 986 9505. So, you know, Spanish language callers can use that number, but they can also dial the regular number at 221-2141 and still speak to a Spanish counselor. Margaret, what about men and breast cancer? Do you address that or are they uh, pushed off to some other organization? (laughs) No, we absolutely do address it. A lot of people don't realize that men can get breast cancer too. And so we are prepared to talk with men who are going through that experience. And what we also do is on our hotline we have what we call a match program where people can talk to someone who's had a similar experience. And it may be, let's say, someone gets diagnosed with breast cancer while they're pregnant and they want to speak to someone else who was diagnosed when they were pregnant. We can make that match. And many years ago we started a program to be able to match trained counselors who are men who have supported someone with breast cancer. Um, You know, a husband, let's say, his wife has been diagnosed, can call our hotline and talk to one of the men who's been through this as well. But we also are always looking for trained counselors who are men who've had breast cancer. How are we doing with breast cancer in men? I mean, I don't hear about it. I I think about it when I have someone come in the office with pain, but I, I don't think I've had a case of it. So Yeah, it's, it's quite rare. It's only about 1% of all the breast cancer diagnoses in the U.S. at least, and I think that number holds up worldwide. Are they more aggressive, less aggressive? It's not typically more aggressive, no. Um, it is... Very often, as you would expect, not commonly diagnosed and and sometimes missed as a diagnosis because people don't think of it as occurring in men. But it's typically not as aggressive, but very often the treatment is the same. Men have mastectomies as well. So it's something that, you know, we we believe in raising awareness of. However, because it is such a small percentage of the breast cancer, it's not a huge focus for us. Do they have a different question instead of why me? I mean, uh, they're they're going to be much more confused than that. Yeah, yeah, it is very confusing. Um, So you're right. I mean, and they may not think to be looking at other uh, breast cancer organizations that are very focused on on women, but we do try as an organization. We have a, a very strong commitment to diversity, and the organization has had that from the very beginning. So we are very focused on, uh, and the language we will use is anyone touched by breast cancer. I've had questions before of people saying, well, can I call the hotline if I don't have breast cancer? And the answer is absolutely. If you have any questions about breast cancer or supporting someone with breast cancer, please call our hotline. And that, that applies to teenagers, applies to men. Anyone who is touched by breast cancer or has questions can feel free to call our hotline. Margaret, there's a lot of organizations out there uh, for many different diseases, and a lot of them don't have a lot of awareness. They don't have a lot of money. 
What can Margaret Kirk teach them that can help them kind of catapult them to uh, your level? Well, I think I think there are several things, and and one of the first is what I mentioned earlier about Wyme's um, unwavering focus on the mission, and that has got to be front and center. I think for any organization is is define who you are, what your focus is, and stay with that. The other piece of advice I would give, which also comes from the early days of Wyme, is our organization has always been very collaborative in nature. We've never felt that you know we have to own the turf. We've always seen this problem as bigger than any one, uh, certainly any one person, any one organization. So we've always worked well with others. We are one of the founding members of the National Breast Cancer Coalition. We're one of the founding members of the Cancer Leadership Council. So our approach has been to, to say, let's work on this together. And, and just as you suggest, what can we learn from each other to raise awareness, certainly, to increase the professionalism of the organization so we can expand our reach and finding ways that we can partner with others to, to hopefully be more successful in accomplishing our mission. Margaret Kirk, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Larry. I've enjoyed it. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. At ReachMD, we welcome your comments and questions. Uh, please log on to our website at ReachMD, and you can see our new on-demand podcasts of the entire library. 